Welcome back to another episode of the Define Reality Podcast. Hopefully everyone is staying safe out there as the COVID virus is somewhat plateauing off. And then obviously we have everything going on with social injustice in America. So everyone stay safe. Make sure you stay together. Um, but we are excited to have you back listening for another episode. Actually really excited for you guys to check this one out. Um, I got to know this young man when I took the job at the University of Missouri. He was the first player that I started recruiting there. And at that point in time, he was, I want to say, a top 50 player in the country. Um, maintained a relationship with him when he went to Iowa State. And then when he transferred to Loyola, he had an unbelievable career. Obviously led them to a Missouri Valley Championship, was the player of the year in the conference his junior year, and ultimately led his team to a Final Four at Loyola, Chicago. He's one of my good friends. Um, he has a wealth of knowledge, and he's really pretty much been through everything that you could go through basketball-wise. So I'm excited for you guys to check out the Define Reality debut of Clayton Custer. Welcome back to another episode of the Define Reality Podcast. Today, my guest, one of my honestly favorite people, got to know him when I was at the University of Missouri. He was actually the first person that I called to recruit when I got the job there. Um, he's had a ton of success, and I think everyone can learn a shit ton from him. Quite Custer, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me on. I actually, I still remember that call till this day. I was driving home from, I think, like an SAT practice class or something like that and you called me while I was in the car on the way home first time I talked to you but um thanks for having me on I'm, I'm excited man I appreciate you coming on how's everything going with COVID like you staying alive over there or what staying alive a little too much time inside as I bet everybody um is feeling the same way but um trying to find ways to stay active um getting outside shooting hoops doing whatever I can to to stay sane Still playing. I like it. I like it. Well, what I think that we should probably do is I think we should start with your storied high school career. Um, I don't, I'm sure some people in the greater Chicagoland area and obviously Kansas City know who you are and what you did. But for everyone else, listen, you had a hell of a high school career. And I don't think people really kind of know that. You won four state championships in a row, correct? No. So I wish. We won, we won two. We won, we won two. And that was your junior and senior year? That was my junior and senior year. So we had, uh, so me and Perry Ellis overlapped for two years and so Perry Ellis had yeah. a pretty crazy high school career. He, he was Gatorade player of the year four times and won four straight uh, state championships. So it was, it was tough getting past them. I think we lost by like four or five his senior year, my sophomore year, we had a chance to beat him. We were actually winning in the fourth quarter, I think. Um, it was pretty funny. Our team, we were, we were scrappy, but we didn't have a ton of size. So we would have like a six, two dude trying to guard Perry Ellis <laughs> in the post and dudes committed to Kansas. One of the best high school players in Kansas history. And we got, we got a six, two dude trying to front him in the post. Um, so I, I wish I could go back and, and watch that, that tape. I would, I would bet that'd be amazing to see. I bet Perry <laughs> Ellis probably has it somewhere for sure. Um, <laughs> I remember that conversation. I remember we talked forever the first time and just learning kind of about you and your family, the connections that you had at the University of Missouri. And then I remember coming down and actually going to your open gym and watching you, you and your team. And the one thing that stood out to me about you in high school is you had a really close group of friends. And even your relationship with your head coach was very special, in my opinion. Like, it was very clear, like, why you guys won. How did that, other than just basketball, did that form off the court or was that just strictly through hoops? Yeah, so those guys actually so – so I guess the way that that started was actually in youth basketball growing up, we – I was on a different team than those guys. I was actually on this other team, um, and we were actually beat those guys. So it was my, my buddy Vince Fritz, Ben Richardson, who I obviously went on to play with at Loyola, um, Kyle Harrison, David Salak. Like, we're still friends to this day, but they were all on this other team and I was on this, this team called the Cyclones, which is kind of funny because I spent one year at Iowa State yeah. uh, down the road. But I was on a team called the Cyclones. They were the Huskies slash Mustangs because half their team was going to go to Blue Valley North, which their mascot was the Mustangs, and half that team was going to go to Blue Valley Northwest, and their mascot was the Huskies, 
So they just put a slash in the middle and that was their team name, which I always thought was kind of funny. But um, my team, the Cyclones, we beat them for probably second through um, fifth grade. And then all of a sudden they started getting the better of us. They started beating us. And me being the person I am, I was like, all right, I got to go. I got to go join. I got to go join their team. So, uh, so I, I joined their team and we got to be really close. So I, I think the bond, the bond was formed through hoops and, but we just became best friends off the court too. We, we would go, we would always be spending the night at each other's house. We would, uh, especially when we were younger, it would be a weekend tournament. We're spending the night, spending the night at each other's house and then all getting up the next morning and, and driving together to the, to the games probably staying up way too late in the process the night before. Um, but we just played so well together. I think the bond off the court translated to the bond on the court. And I think you could see it in, in the style of play because, I mean, the way we played, I think, was the right way to play basketball. We moved the ball. We shared it. We didn't care who got the credit. And, I mean, it was honestly so fun because everybody was so happy all the time. Nobody ever felt like they were left out or they weren't getting getting the ball or – anything like that so it was a blast and I think it led to some pretty cool success in high school I think our our record ended up being 94 and 6 in high school so wild in Kansas City you can only play 25 games total if you play 25 games that means you made it to the state championship game and uh 94 and 6 our junior year we ended up going 25 and 0 and we played some good national nationally um, ranked teams too. We played De La Salle and they had Reed Travis, Jarvis Johnson. They actually you had played a, them up in Minnesota, right? Yeah, yeah. We yeah, got invited that. to that. It's at the Timberwolves Arena, so that was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, it was just an unbelievable high school experience. We were so close with Coach Fritz, like you said as well. Having that special relationship with the coach, I think, was huge to our success as well. It was pretty clear that, like, the word trust, I think you could use for the whole thing. Like, he trusted you guys a great deal. You trusted him, and you trusted each other. Like, again, just watching the open gym, like, I can vividly remember now, and this was, what, 10 years ago? Like, just you guys organized open gym. You talked to one another. No one ever got in a fight or bitched, complained. Like, so, like, you could tell that it was a special group. We'll get into the Ben Richardson thing later on because I do think those youth nights and all that definitely played into the Final Four run that you go on later on. But we'll kind of stay on track here. Let's talk about your recruitment. When did you start getting recruited? So my process probably started a little earlier than, than the, the normal person in my, in my situation. So after my freshman year of high school, I, so I started on the varsity team my freshman year. And then right after the season was over, Mocan, which obviously is one of the most – the high-profile AAU programs in Kansas City, they they asked me to play on the 17 and under Mocan team, uh, which featured um, Willie Colley Stein, Shimmy Ojale, Siobhan Shields. Um, I mean, we had a host of Division One guys. We had Austin Reuter who went to Missouri State. Uh, so I mean, we had some high profile guys who were getting recruited by pretty much everybody in the country. I mean, Willie Colley Stein, I think was a top 20 player in the nation getting recruited by all the blue bloods. Um, obviously we ended up deciding to go to Kentucky, but when you have guys like Willie and Shimmy on your team, everywhere you go in the summer, there's a hundred college coaches at your game. So it was a great situation for me because I was, I was the point guard. I was actually the starting point guard playing two years up and I, I didn't feel like there was that much pressure on me because my who I am naturally as a player and as a person is just – I just try to make the guys around me better, you know. And in that situation, it was easy. I, all I had to do was just kind of run the – run the be the floor general, you know what I mean? Just be out there, make plays for other guys, uh, put guys in situations to be successful. And with those guys, that was an easy job because, I mean, I had so much talent around me and – but I also got exposed to all those college coaches early on, which was, was good for me. Uh, and, and it was exciting because I started getting recruited by some of the Big 12 right then. I think, I think K-State, Oklahoma State, 
those two I, I remember were the two that offered me I mean I was it was between my freshman and sophomore year high school that I started getting recruited by some of these schools um and it was crazy it was it was early and it was a lot to handle at a young age I think so I guess moving moving past that it's just crazy I mean it, it's tough yeah what, what was that Nike was the Mocan was that uh EYBL at that point or no so we were actually the first team that qual we qualified for the EYBL Okay. So we had to go play in this tournament in Indiana and us and all Iowa attack qualified for the EYBL and this qualifier thing. And then so we think, went. This is actually an interesting deal. So like your pressure didn't necessarily come from performing on the court pressure for you probably came where you have high major, like, again, we'll go to Riley Lachance. We talked to before he was stressed because he was trying to get offers. You already had the offers, but at that point, like, your pressure becomes, should I commit? Should I not commit? Yeah. Yeah. I would agree, I would agree with that. And it, it, I guess it felt like pressure at first when they first started coming to the games. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I've seen this coach on TV. I watched these guys on TV. Like, Oh my God, like coach K's at our game, you know, coach Calipari's at our game and I'm like 14 years old and I've been watching Duke play since I was a little kid. So that was pressure. But then once I started get, getting some offers, it was more, I felt some pressure just to live up to the expectations, you know, like live up to, well, I'm supposed to be this good. So I need to go out here and show that I'm this good. You know, that that's where I felt the most pressure. And then it was also just trying to perform well, but also weigh the options and know which schools were telling me the truth, which schools weren't telling me the truth and stuff like that. And it's a lot to handle. I think as a, as a young guy, especially, when it was er the early years of high school instead of the, the latter years. How did you handle the comfort level? So what I mean by that is it's very clear, like you were comfortable with your high school teammates from day one, just because of that youth basketball growing up. Now you get thrown in this hyper competitive 17 and under AAU scene with all this talent and like your game obviously fit, right? Because you go in and you make people better. You don't have to go like, put pressure on yourself to score, which I think yeah. most kids probably do at that age. But I guess my thing is, is how did you fit in with that talent? Meaning just personality wise, because like, it's one thing to pass the ball and make people better, but it's another thing to like be in a hotel room or go out and get dinner. Like, so how was that adjustment just dealing with those kind of personalities? Cause that's a great learning experience for later on in your life. It was great. It was great. And, and I think you're right. I obviously had a really close connection with my high school buddies who I had been playing with for so long. Um, but I also think it, it helped that my style of play helped when I went to that AAU with all those those high-flying athletes who were super talented and stuff because it helped me that I wasn't that guy that was the point guard that was trying to go score and try to shoot all the time and, and doing all that stuff because I think I could have lost some trust or lost some respect or um, in a situation like that when you're playing with a lot of talent they might think that I'm trying to steal the show or something like that. And they never felt like that. They always, they always felt like I was just out there trying to make them better. And they always really liked me. And I, I'm appreciative of, of the way they treated me on that team, honestly, because I was young. They easily could have tried to bully me or try to get me to, to not play my game and stuff like that. And they always urged me to do that. Um, Siobhan Shields, Willie Colley-Stein, I mean, Siobhan is one of the nicest human beings I've ever been around, and, and he always made me feel so comfortable out there on the court. So we were pretty cool off the court as well. So, I mean, obviously high, high school buddies were like my best friends, but these guys, I was hanging out with them in the hotel. We were walking to get food at night at AAU tournaments. So I fit in really well with them, but I think it helped that I was more of a pass first, more of just a floor general who was out there trying to set guys up. That definitely made – it easier during that time. I remember watching you play over your high school career once I got to Missouri. So I think it was for two years. And I remember going into your senior year, you had moved AAU teams and played with kind of a lower level team, you would say, but you were by far the best player on the team. And I remember me and you having conversations about like, no, no, Clay, like you don't get to just make people better anymore. Like you got to go out and score. Like you got to go get 30, 35. Like, come on, man. And like that, you really struggled with that. Like that was never kind of in your nature to be that like, I don't want to say you weren't an alpha dog because you were in your own way, but you were more of an alpha dog to keep organization and you always won. Like, and this is a crazy thing because I think everyone always looks at it and says, 
the way you become a top 100 recruit and a high major recruit is you have to go score points to get noticed. And that's just not true. Like the thing that you always did to get noticed was you always won. You know what I mean? And then in turn, a coach could sit there and say, look, okay, I'm at Kansas State. I'm recruiting these other guys and he's making them better. He's staying in front of his guy defensively. He fits in. Yeah, we can recruit this guy. Like he's a stable human being at the one. And then that also made everyone around you stable. Because again, as we all know, like a selfish point guard, that leads to people just doing crazy wild <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? Like, okay, this dude takes a shot. Next time I'm getting it, I'm going coast to coast and I'm the five man. You know what I mean? And like, you never really fell into that trap, which I always applauded you for. Now, fast forward as you get into college, like, and we'll get into this more in a minute. You obviously had that gene of still being able to go get a bucket, you know, like, and I think you probably learned that that last year of AAU. That's a really good point. I, I've never even thought about it like that. Honestly, that's a great point. And I do remember having those conversations with you because it wasn't my nature to be like, all right, I got to keep the ball this time down the court and go get a basket. That wasn't in my nature until that year. And I mean, we had those conversations. I also credit Victor Williams. I mean, he, he was always on me. He helped me so much throughout my youth years, just being able to go score and being able to be taught me how to be a leader and stuff like that. But you're right, that year playing for Vic my last summer, I really had to kind of get that killer in me. Not kill, not, I guess I, I think, like you said, I think I already had some killer in me. It was more the killer that was going to go get, get some baskets when we needed baskets. And I learned that during that last year. Um, but, yeah, I, I would completely agree with you on that. So you're a top 100 kid in the country. You have high major schools offering you. Obviously, Kansas – Missouri, you know, those are the two closest ones to you. But you had Kansas State, Oklahoma State. Iowa State, obviously, is the place you ended up choosing to start. Take me through that decision. Well, I, I guess don't take me through it because I kind of lived through this terrible nightmare. But take the <laughs> listeners through that situation when you decide to commit to Ohio State. What made it, what made it right? Because I think, in my opinion, when I was recruiting you, I knew if we offered you, I thought we'd have a really good chance. I always thought Iowa State – wasn't my biggest competition. I always thought it was going to be Oklahoma State. And then I think it was more Vic just because of his connection to that program. So, like, what made Iowa State the right fit at the right time? So, for me, I'm a, I'm a big guy on trust, as we've kind of been talking about. Just I always trust literally, my coach. I literally, have trust. I was writing trust down right now. I swear <laughs> to God, it's crazy. Go ahead. So, trust has always been a big thing for me. And, obviously, I trusted you during the recruiting process. And there's just certain people where I, I just kind of feel like I have a good feel for if I should trust somebody or not. And um, I don't know, Coach Hoy Hoyberg just gave me a sense of trust when I talked to him. He had been recruiting me for a while. I don't know, it was just a calming sense when I would talk to him on the phone. He came out and visited me. Um, he had had, I mean, he was a newer coach at that time, but I don't know, he, he, seemed to have a vision for me as to how he could help me as a undersized, not as athletic guard. And Beautiful. it sounded like a good thing. He, he had played, he had played in the NBA. Yep. He saw, he, he thought he could help me get to that point and um, still have a great relationship with him. Awesome guy. So that was why I ultimately chose Iowa state. I was also starting to get to the point. It was the beginning of my junior year where I was starting to get sick of getting recruited. I, I, it had been, yeah, it, it had been going on for so long where I was like, I remember talking to my mom and dad. And I was like, you know, I just, I just want to make a decision so I can stop thinking about this. I can't, I mean, I've been thinking about this for two years, two and a half years now already. And, or two, I guess two years, but I was starting to get sick of it. And the two, the two schools I ended up choosing between was Iowa, was Iowa state and Oklahoma state. And, you're probably right. Oklahoma State recruited me longer, and I can see why you probably thought that Oklahoma State was probably the biggest competition. Um, but, yeah, I chose between those two. It came down to the trust factor of just trusting Hoiberg. I had already kind of grew a relationship with Matt Thomas, who was a year older than me and was going to Iowa State, who I could see myself being really good friends with also off the court, which was also very important to me. I, which I don't know if I had that at Oklahoma State. I didn't have somebody on that team that was already there that I knew I would end up being friends with and I would get along with. So that's why I ended up choosing Iowa State. You, 
didn't take an official visit to Iowa State until after you committed, correct? It was just all unofficial stuff with all the schools. Yeah, because during that time, it, the rules were you right. couldn't even take you couldn't even take an official until your senior year, I think. Or yeah, I don't know, maybe I don't remember, but I, I, I yeah, I think I had already committed. So the only place I really I could take an official visit to was yeah. Iowa State. Did Matt Thomas play in that tournament up in uh, Minnesota as well when you were there? I know JP did, Makura. Yeah, with that that high school event was sweet because JP played in it and Matt played in it too. Matt had like 40-something, I think, there down there. Honestly, you helped me get JP just because, like, I thought JP was going to Iowa State, right? And then when all that came down with you and you transferred, it was like there was no way. that was It would actually work out great, like, for me when it comes to recruiting, to be very honest. Yeah. Getting to it, like <laughs> – so trust is like a big thing for you. And obviously like our relationship blossomed just through the recruiting process. And, you know, you came on visit, a visit to Missouri. Talk to me about like just the overwhelming sense. Cause you do bring up a valid point. Like there's, there's a lot of great things about being recruited, right? So as a freshman in high school, going into your sophomore year, you get all these people to start reaching out to you or finding ways to contact it, contact you, all these new people, you know, trying to form a relationship with you. And then, Anytime you're in the top 100, at that point moving forward, any event that you're at, more high majors or mid-plus are going to look at you. And it just – I mean, that Rolodex gets really long. What is – would you say the biggest I – don't, I don't want to say distrustful, but what was the worst thing that happened to you in the process that made you look around and be like, okay, this, this is just a lot. Like, this is too much. So, I remember – the one thing I remember is – I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mention the school that it was that that did it. Um, but I remember there was one day at school where the like the intercom at school. You know the intercom that where they can speak to all the different classrooms yeah. or whatever. There was one day where the same. I ended up getting mail from this this school. And it was like three days in a row, they called my name over the intercom and I had to go down to the office and pick up these like letters from this school. And it was like three days in a row. And then I remember I went home on the third day and I was like talking to my parents and I was telling them, I was like, yeah, like I'm in class and I'm leaving. Three days in a row, the same school sent me a bunch of stuff to read. And then when my mom found out that, it was taken, I was getting taken out of class. I had to leave class to go get these letters and stuff. She was not happy about it. So she had a conversation. By far one of the nicest human beings on the planet, by the way. (laughs) One of my best recruiting memories to this day. She brought me cookies when I came one of the times to see you. It's unbelievable. Like the nicest woman that I've ever met. Like an absolute sweetheart for sure. So, and I can see your mom and dad not being happy about that whatsoever. And obviously you go home and tell like most normal human beings, like fuck get out of school as much as possible. Like send me those letters every hour. I'm, I'm in, but no, not, not clay. Like he wants to stay in. <laughs> but yeah, she wasn't happy. I remember she even, I think she even reached out to the school. Like that was recruiting me and said, don't send them stuff like that. If you want to send stuff to the house, you can send stuff to the house or whatever, but don't, don't send them stuff to, to the school. I know me personally in your recruiting process, like, so we obviously told you we were going to offer you when you were going to come to Missouri and that didn't pan out. Like, I know I learned a great lesson just through that, like how important it is just to be upfront and honest, or more importantly, just to make sure that like the information you're giving people, even though you think it's accurate and it's not just to say you're sorry, you know, cause like to me, I remember how hurt you were in that situation. Cause it was hard cause everything laid out that you were going to get an offer from Missouri, literally 20 minutes Shout out to my guy, Tim Fuller over there, Devin Booker, that guy to love them all. Um, but anyway, like that was a crazy situation. That was, that was tough just because I remember like you were really looking forward to that. And when it didn't happen, it was wild. Cause I was like, okay, it's done. Like I'm not having a relationship with this kid anymore. And like, to fairness to both of us, like we worked through it. And at that point moving forward, I just became a mentor to help you in the recruiting process, which I thought was even funner. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So let's get into your time at Iowa State. I'm obviously, like I'm big on failure leads to success later. What was it about the Iowa State situation that made it not work out? Yeah, so, well, I, I want to start off by saying I actually am glad I went there for that year. I think I learned a lot. I think I got a lot better. You actually, I think you, yeah, I mean, you did. You kind of warned me when I did it. You were like, you know, there's this kid named Monte Morris 
from Detroit, who's pretty good, and Flint. he's only a year Flint. older than he's you. From, he's from Flint, by the way, but neither here from nor Flint. there. From Flint. And I remember you saying, you know, I, I don't know if that's a great decision to, to go there. Uh, he's a really good point guard or whatever. Um, but I went there his freshman year when I was watching him from while I was a senior, a senior in high school. He was kind of playing off the ball more that year because Iowa State still had DeAndre Kane. And so while I was watching, I was like, well, maybe he is kind of more of a like combo guard type player. That couldn't have been the furthest thing, fur, further from the truth. This guy, obviously, people know what Monte is doing now, but he became the all time assist to turnover leader. He has the record for it in the NCAA, the most pure point guard that there's been in college over the last whatever years. So, um, and he did develop the, into that there in fairness to you. Like he definitely did. It wasn't some, cause he was on the Michigan Mustangs, the AU team that I coached obviously before I got into college. So him and, uh, what was Walton? Derek Walton. Derek Walton. And they were one and one, like one, a one B in the backcourt from the Mustangs. So it was like, there's so many things that as a recruiter, meaning Iowa state, you can really sell that. Okay. Man, man was his nickname. Could play both positions, you know. So, like, you definitely see that going into it. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what I saw, and that's why I wasn't too worried about it when I committed to Iowa State. And then even while I was watching them uh, during my senior year, but so got but stuck behind him, which was going to be tough. He had a good freshman year, and then I showed up, and they were ESPN was already writing articles about how he was going to be the, the next big thing in the big 12 and there was so much media around him and stuff. And I kind of saw early on once I first got there, I was like, there's, it's going to be hard for me to, to see a lot of minutes unless they play us together. Some, which he's only, he's like six, two, whatever he is. I'm six foot on a good day. And there's not going to be a lot of games in the big 12 where the matchups are going to allow for us to be on the court at the same time. So, but I, I still went in there, worked hard, but just wasn't going to see the minutes. He was playing 36 minutes a game. So, and he wasn't going to stop playing 36 minutes a game. So I saw that and uh, just kind of took it like, you know, this is a year for me to get as good as possible, play against one of the best point guards in the country every single day and use it as a year to just get better. So wherever I go next, I'll be able to kill. If you had to go back and reevaluate the situation, um, not taking Morris out of the situation. Do you think it was the right style of play for you? Because, like, again, I got to know Fred and his system here in Chicago with the Bulls, and it seems like it is kind of a free-flowing, you know, read-react, everyone can kind of get theirs. But also the personalities at Iowa State <laughs> weren't really like what you had, realistically, what you had in high school and in AAU. Like, everything that you talked about is, like, trust, you know, togetherness, and nothing against Fred Hoiberg or any of his programs, but – they had never screamed that to me. You know what I mean? They, you know, like Creighton, you know, would be an example of like when I think of like chemistry, togetherness, move it, like redirect, everyone takes the shot they're supposed to. It's more like that. Is there yeah. something that you would say or give people advice to like when you go through the process, obviously relationship with the head coach, style of plays, but what are the things you would tell people to look into or investigate? Um, so I think I did this, Yes, I, I thought I was doing this because I, I did get to be close with Matt Thomas, Naz Long, George Yang. But I think it's important to go somewhere. If I was to go back, it's important to go somewhere where pretty much the whole team is hanging out all the time and you're going to get along with pretty much everybody on the team. You might not always get – you're not – I mean, you're never going to be in a situation where you're like best friends with everybody on your college team. But – when I got to Loyola, it was the closest thing I ever had to that, where whether it was the starting five or the last guy, the walk, the last walk-on on, on the bench, I was buddies with everybody off the – I felt comfortable having everybody over to my place. We were all hanging out together all at the same time. And I think I should have looked a little bit more into that when I was going through the recru recruiting process because – Everybody was cool with each other at Iowa State, but it was a little bit more, I would say, a little bit more like there were small groups, you know, that yeah. would hang out off the off the court. And what I loved about Loyola was the fact that we really were 
a, a big family and we all hung out with each other off the court. And I think that goes, that might be one thing that people overlook or kids overlook during the recruiting process. You just used the word family when you were talking about environment, people that stuff to look for, obviously, in the process. At Loyola, you said you guys had one. Obviously, there's probably some clicks, but not as much as most places. Do you think that was through the coaching staff, or was that you and Ben's relationship that helped fuel that with your team? Because clearly, you guys have been close since, what, second, third grade, you know? So, like, or was it, again, Porter Mojer and his system, or a combination? Yeah, so I, th- I think it's – I, first, I want to give credit to the to the coaching staff. First. Absolutely. I mean, I think they he, coach coach always does a, a great job. He even talks about it. He talks about how he wants to recruit culture. He wants to recruit a certain type of guy, high character guys who care about um, school and doing well in the classroom and all that. And he he preaches that. He preaches recruiting good guys and recruiting to the culture that he wants in his program. And I think he did a great job of that. Um, I think at a certain point, uh, we did come together. It was us. We, we had to, we have to, there has to be some sort of effort by the players to create something like that as well. Um, you have to be willing to sacrifice, uh, accept a role and and all that stuff on the court. But that also kind of, I think translates to also having a good relationship off the court as well. So I think, first and foremost, the coaching staff did a great job uh, recruiting, recruiting the guys that he recruited. And I think that's what allowed us to have that year that year. But with, with what you said, I think me and Ben definitely had a played a part in that, our relationship, the way we talked to each other out on the court, the way we communicated with each other, whether it was positive, whether Ben was getting on me or if I was getting on him, we never, snap back we never did any of that stuff if somebody if ben got on me that meant i was probably not doing something right if i got on him that meant he probably wasn't doing something right and it kind of created that atmosphere where we could hold each other accountable and i think other people on that team also saw that and they were like oh like that's okay the way that they're talking to each other it's okay and and, and they don't ever get um it's all for the greater good of the team we're all just trying to hold each other accountable so that we can be as good as we can as a basketball team. And I think that we probably did rub off on people. It's hard to know how much of that, like how, how much me and Ben had an impact on all of that, but it would be, it would be hard to say that we didn't have a pretty big impact in creating that type of atmosphere on the team. Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head. The ability that you two guys knew how to one communicate with each other in hostile or in an environment where one, the other person made a mistake and the other person accepted it and listened. Because to me, that's the hardest thing. Like when you're a leader on a basketball team and you hold someone accountable, a lot of guys like, oh, whatever, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, but when the two best players or two of the better players can do that to one another, it just becomes the norm and everyone else can accept it. Like there's, you've seen someone else react to being coached by one of their friends or held accountable by one of their friends. And that's not normal. And to me, that's when, Michigan State, Mateen Cleaves, Morris Peterson, that whole Flint connection, that's how they won a national championship together. It was the same way. Like, they had been through that all before, like, in high school. Mm-hmm. Trust is obviously a huge word with you, and it keeps kind of resonating through this conversation. You had a lot of places to go when you transferred. It wasn't like, you know, Loyola was your only option. Like, you had a lot of high majors as well. Clearly, like, you made that decision because you had a friend there that you knew and you trusted. With that being said – did that help you trust Porter Mosier? Cause he did meaning cause Ben did. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think so. Um, it was funny the, the way that that visit ended up happening was I don't think I would have visited there. I, I don't even think I would have visited Loyola, but out of the options that I had, I was probably only going to take two or three visits. And when you transfer, you get another five official visits. So and in college, in in, uh, in high school, I never got to take it. I only took one of my official visits. So in my head, I was like, well, this is my opportunity to take a few visits. And I actually get that experience. And Ben was like, Clay, I mean, I don't know if you're going to like it. I don't know what you're going to think about this. But you might as well come out here for a weekend, <laughs> hang out with me. I'll show you around. And it's paid for by the school. <laughs> 
So I was like, you know what? That doesn't sound bad. That doesn't sound like a bad situation. Trip to Chicago, um, everyone will do it. Obviously, there's a little bit of – yeah. And, and obviously, that's – I wouldn't have gone there if I didn't think – I wouldn't have gone on that visit if I didn't think that there was a, a chance that I would like it. But but uh, I just thought that was kind of a funny little little joke that me and Ben talk about sometimes. But So realistically, uh, he recruited you there to start or convinced you I to mean, come on a visit somewhat. I mean, pretty much. Like, I don't think – I don't think I would have visited there yeah. if Ben – I wouldn't have visited there at all if Ben wasn't there. And I don't think – I don't even know if Porter and the staff would have recruited me if they didn't know that I had – that Ben had that strong connection with me. Correct. You know, so I don't, I don't think that that relationship would have ever – I wouldn't have – I might not have ever even talked to Porter if Porter didn't already know that Ben had that strong a relationship with me. So, um, yeah, so I had Loyola – setting up a visit to, to Xavier or we were talking about maybe me coming out to Xavier. Then you, you made the transition to DePaul. So it kind of got a little bit, um, it was just over. things changed there. It was over. Yeah. That but was, those are kind of the schools I was looking at. And then Creighton was, and, uh, so then that's when Creighton it, it decided between Loyola and Creighton and it just came to, I knew I would have fun at Loyola with, with Ben and, I knew that if me and Ben were on the same team, we would have a chance to be good. So it came down to that. And I, I thought if I went to Loyola, I would be able to play the game the way I like to play it. I'd be able to make plays for other guys and do all that. And that that was enough for me. And what happened next was, was a little bit unexpected, but I knew we had a, the chance to be really good. And, and so I, I decided to commit. Obviously, we won't get into your all every year at Loyola just because of time's sake. But let's get into that special year for just a little bit here. Where at what point in time did you know? Like, obviously, relationship was good. You guys are winning in the Missouri Valley. Got to go to the tournament and win the tournament to be able to get to the NCAA tournament. But when did you know like things were like special or unique? And obviously, getting into the Final Four is that that in its own right. But when during the season or what kind of triggered you? Like, wait a minute, like we got a great group here. So that season, we, we beat Florida in the non-conference when they were ranked third or yep. whatever in the country. At so Florida. that was a sign at Florida in their place after they had just played Duke in like a game that was in the hundreds on that ESP Nike tournament thing, preseason tournament. But so we beat them there. So we're like, oh, well, that's a good win. But there's upsets all the time. You know, there's other, teams get upset all the time. So. Uh, but that was kind of the first sign where I was like, all right, well, we beat a really good team. Then me and Ben got hurt soon after that. So then we actually went on a little skid where I think we were like two and three in a stretch of five games and didn't really know how, how things are going to come back. But then I, if you were to ask me when I thought we had a really good chance to be good, I would say midway through the Missouri Valley Conference season, that was when me and Ben had kind of came back and were healthy and we had had a few games under our belt where we were both back and we were on a roll. I mean, we, we were winning games. We were beating teams handily. We were beating teams when we weren't playing well, which we had not done in the previous year when I was at Loyola. We were finding ways to win games. If the game was close at the end, we were winning. The year before that, if the game was close at the end of the game, we lost. But this year, it was like, if we're within two or three with a minute left, we're going to figure out a way to win this game. And we won a couple of those games midway through the conference play. And I think that's when we knew, like, we're the best team in the conference this year, and it's ours to lose. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to mess up in order for us to not go to the next tournament. It's, it's crazy how, like, again, things happen that can be looked at as failure or people getting hurt, like just events that end up catapulting people to success. So you'd, you'd have to say both of you two getting hurt actually helped later on because team, you guys lost a little bit. Your teammates who I'm sure like any team is as close as you are, like oh, these dudes are getting all these plays ran for them. Like I'm better. Well, reality gets, ironically, reality gets defined for like the group. Then you guys come back and you go on a run, right? But then even the year before being in situations to lose close games and learn from it, and then that comes full circle, and now you're winning those games. But if you're not in those situations before, then, you know, your junior year, you're probably losing those games instead. So it is kind of wild how, again, failure can lead to success. 
at one point in time, either during the Missouri Valley tournament, and I know it happened in the NCAA tournament, so we'll put them both together, but where was there a moment where you're like, oh, oh shit, like we're down by 15, like we got to do something. It was Because to me, anytime you do something special, you always hit something like that. Yeah, there were a couple. We actually almost lost our first round game of the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament that year. And we were the one seed. We had we had won the conference by like three or four games. And the first game we played you and I, and we won by like two or three or something like that. And it was it was close down the stretch. I remember I actually missed some free throws like in under a minute and a half and all year I had been making all the free throws like that. And I've missed a couple late in the game and it came down. We ended up, we ended up squeaking it out, but that was one where it was like, Oh my God, if we would have lost that game, we would have never even been in the NCAA tournament and the final four run would have never been made because the committee didn't even have us on the bubble to make an at large. So we, we weren't going to get an at large no matter what, even though our regular season record was like 28 and five or something like that. Um, so that was the first one. Then after we got through that first one, um, real quick with that first one, with that first one, was there a moment like in a timeout or at halftime or even on the court that you remember that like kind of turned the tides into your favor? Or was it just, yeah, like, I think we went on a run because it was like neck and neck, neck and neck. We, we went on a, a run. It was like neck and neck, and I think we got like a couple transition baskets, and we're like, all right, we just got to – nothing's going well. We're not playing well. But I, I just remember all of us kind of looking at each other like, you know what, like we just went – we just got like – we're up four now, up six. You know, we're playing horrible, but we just got to – we're going to win this game, you know. Like we're going to win this game, but we just got to squeak this one out because we know we're not going to play this bad again but we just got to get through this thing. <laughs> and so just moments like that. But that team, had I guess a, the next one after that team had an ahead. amazing way of staying the course and relying on defense. Like you guys hung your hat, like, and I know a lot of people like say that to be a championship team defense win championships, but truly like you guys like really could fucking defend and you could defend at all five positions. You could switch everything. And what is defense coming down to this, word that keeps getting circled back in this conversation of this trust factor, right? The other thing that I think was unique about your guys' tournament run is it seemed like every person in your starting five had a moment. Like they had a game-winning moment. You know, it was like Ben had one, you had one. Um, what was the other guard's name? Uh, yeah, Marcus had one. Marcus had one, exactly. Don, first one, yeah. So what do you remember? Like, I remember when we went to the Final Four at Michigan State, there's like certain moments that like, I remember going out to practice and the fans being there. What's the most memorable moment for you going to the final four? And now I'm playing wild. Like what, like, what do you remember? Like that one thing that you when you think about like, man, that was unbelievable. And it could have been when you hit the game winner or when someone else did. So my, the, the, obviously the in, individual play that I'll always remember is obviously my, the shot that I made. I'd be lying if I didn't say that, but I think the moment that was the most amazing to me in the whole thing was during the national anthem during the game of the final four. And that was the most surreal experience of my life because you're in there and it's pitch black and there's like 70,000 or I don't even know, 65,000, 70,000 people at the game and you, it's dark, but you can kind of still see because there's like the, the screens are still on with the American flag. They got the visuals, the lights onto the floor with the American flag and like our logos that are on the floor. And it's cool once you watch it on TV because that's actually what they show on the TV broadcast. But I mean, I just remember we kind of did that inter interlocked arms thing during the national anthem. And just looking around at how many people were there and how far away some of those people are that are in that gym. Because if, no, if, if you've never been to a Final Four before, the court is just such a tiny, tiny part of the greater like, area of the arena. Yep. I mean, the court looks tiny. If you're at some of those seats, you can't even barely see the game at some, in some of those seats. And it was just amazing 
looking up and just knowing that we were about to play a game in front of that many people and how big of a, in that moment, I realized how big of a deal it was because we had been in a, you're kind of so focused and you're at the hotel, you go to the film, the little, the film room and all that stuff. And, and you, it was hard to really wrap your head around how big of a deal it was because we were in our own little zone and our little bubbles. And then I remember in that moment before the final four game, looking up and seeing all that. And, and it was just put everything into perspective for me and, of how big of a deal what we had done really was. People, I don't think people can understand the tournament. Like you watch it on TV, but like you go to work or like you're a fan and you have other things going on in between weekends. It goes so fast. Like, you know, the first two rounds, like the first weekend and second weekend go fast because obviously you play either Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, Sunday. You go home for two days, then, you know, Thursday or Wednesday. If you're playing Thursday, you're back on the road. But with the final four, you're literally back for like a day. And then you're off to the final four because media and all that. And everything's so fast and hectic. And like, like you're saying, like you don't really get a chance to enjoy even those moments of like film sessions or being around your teammates or – going to the banquet because it's just all so like a blur. So I could actually see where like when the fine, when the national anthem goes and everyone's quiet, it's just that one thing where you can take a deep breath and be like, wow, like here we are. Like, this is amazing. This is wild. Cause that was just an epic, you know, epic proportion to see you guys there. Like that was, yeah, it was unbelievable. And just knowing you as a human, it was great to see like all your hard work pay off to get to that moment with your best friend. So that was actually really, really cool. Let's go through that game winning play though. Like, was it supposed to go to you? Was it not supposed sure. to go to you? Like, like take me through that play. Yeah. So that, that was actually the other game back to that. that one of those questions you asked that game, we were down with they Tennessee punched us in the mouth for that game. And we were down probably like 15 to two or like 12 to two to start the game. And, uh, this was so funny because whenever we would be – if we were just not making shots but we were sticking to the game plan and stuff and a team was maybe beating us, Coach Moser, it's, it's so funny. Like, I, I think we would still laugh about it with him until this day. I know all of us still tell the story. But he would always say, you know, this is fool's gold. Like, this this team, they're beating us, but, but it's fool's gold. Like, just stick to the plan and we're going to come back and we're going to beat these guys. You know what I mean? And that was the first time that year, I think, where we were down like 12-2. I remember we turned it over. I think I turned it over, actually. And Admiral Schofield is huge. By the way, one of the biggest dudes I ever yeah. played against. Got a steal, went down, dunked it, like dunked it hard. He was wide open in transition, and then we called timeout. And he just did one of those screams where he just like just screamed out. And I remember we got in a timeout, and – Porter was like, Porter was like, you know, this is fool's gold. This is all fool's gold. And I remember we were all, we, we left, we were all looking around at each other and we we're like, you know, I don't know if this one's fool's gold. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if this one's fool's gold. Um, but no, I mean, he give him credit. He was right. We stuck to the game plan and we, it was a neck and neck game down to the wire. And yeah, it, it was supposed to go to me. It, was, it wasn't necessarily for me to shoot the shot. It was just in my hands to make a play. And just ran a little play where I had the ball up, like, left center. And uh, we, it was like one down drop. So, Crut came up, um, acted like he was going to set a screen because they were hard showing the whole game. So, he acted like he was going to set the screen. My guy kind of jumped into my body to force me off the screen. And then Crut kind of left. So the guy, the show guy, didn't didn't show because Crut left, and my guy had jumped onto my hip to push me off the screen, but there was no screen at that point. So it gave me an angle to drive. So I drove. Nope, nobody came off any shooters or anything, and um, I had a good enough angle where I knew if I stopped on a dime that he wouldn't be able to contest it, or at least he wouldn't be able to block it. And so I just rose and shot it. It didn't feel good. It was felt horrible coming off the hands, but was lucky enough for it to have a, a nice little bounce. Probably hit the rim like four times, hit the backboard a couple times, but it, but it fell in. It was destiny. It was meant to happen. There's no question about it. So obviously, you go through your storied career at Loyola, senior year. We're running out of time here because we've been on for an hour, so we'll kind of wrap it up with this. 
Um, we won't really get into your senior or your professional career. We can do that on another podcast because God knows neither one of us are going anywhere anytime soon. But everything that's going on with your future right now, obviously, you've, you know, growing up, basketball has always been in your life. Do you see yourself trying to get back into the game at some point? Um, obviously, probably playing's done, but do you want to be a coach? Do you see yourself wanting to do that? Or is that it? Like, are the sneakers done? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely done playing, but basketball has always been such a big part of my life. Sports in general have been such a big part of my life. So um, definitely yeah, right now it's a tough time to get into it, obviously, because uh, with COVID going on and all that. And um, But I definitely could see myself um, going down that route um, soon. Well, I do know from doing that job for 15 years, like you would be a great addition to anyone's staff. I mean, not only because of your experience taking a team to the final four, you know, being a point guard, but just that story that we just went through, you know, like obviously high school, the success and failures, but more importantly, having the ability to just get one another to trust each other and helping people understand how important that is. So as you know, man, I'm always in your corner. I'm always willing to help you any way that I can, but I really do appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. Like I said, we'll do it again, and we'll, we'll get into that senior year. I'm, I know we got a lot of stuff to talk about there, and and, and I, honestly, we got to get into this whole Germany and I forget the what is it Warsaw? What, where were you at? Poland, Poland, Poland bro. I'm sorry, Poland. My bad. Drew Knights was in Germany. Warsaw. Yeah, <laughs> Polish basketball league and Warsaw. Like we got to get into all that. But honestly, as you know, I appreciate your friendship. I do appreciate you being on the pod. Thanks a lot. I appreciate I appreciate you having me on. It it was a blast, and obviously. Um, I've been listening to the, the um, I'm excited to, to listen to, to the rest of them. So thank you. I'll talk to you soon, brother.